All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Good Life. This is your co-host, Jake Locke. And I'm the other co-host, Austin Hartman. Welcome Welcome to to The the Good Good Life. Life. Welcome back, everybody. This is officially episode number nine of The Good Life. In this episode, we'll be talking about the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur with Brooks Hitsfield. Welcome to the podcast, Brooks. Dude, it is an honor to be here. Episode nine, it's carved in the history books. Yes, sir. Let it go down. When you guys take this show to compete with Joe Rogan, it'll always be remembered. (laughs) I was in on episode nine, before the double digits. Number nine, man. This is a big one. Uh, Brooks is a 28-year-old entrepreneur out of Roanoke, Indiana. Indiana. Brooks, you want to give us a little background info, uh, you know, your upbringing, what you're doing now, and, uh, you know, uh, what what's going on? Sure, I'll try to keep it quick. We'll do, like, the three-minute version if I can. So, um, yeah, you know, I grew up in a large family, so I have six other brothers, and um, my parents are first-generation farmers. So, my dad definitely did not have a, um, a business background, but, you know, he wanted to work for himself. Um, his uh, dad was an excavating. That was a family business, but, you know, he really wanted to go out on his own. So he's first generation farm, which is hard to do. He purchased an existing farm, ran that for a while, um, raised some confinement hogs. Eventually, my mom developed a, a rare case of rheumatoid arthritis um, and got that, that got them thinking a little bit different about uh, nutrition and what they could do to improve their situation. So that opened up their minds to how they were raising animals and agriculture and uh, really connected some dots to them where they had a paradigm shift of what they were doing it was not something that, um, you know, they were really weren't raising product and food the way that they would want to eat it. So that completely changed things. So they basically shifted in the 90s to raising um, to what I would call regenerative agriculture. So raising animals out on pasture, grass-fed beef, pasture pork, and poultry. And that's what really changed stuff. And but we, when we really started to develop a business um, on the farm that could expand outside of just my dad, you know, being self-employed himself. So um, they started about 2000 um, selling uh, grass-fed beef direct to consumer. Um, just at the farmer's market. They had um, a little farm store out here um, where you could just come. It was on the honor system. You could buy some product. You'd leave cash or check inside there. Um, so it was pretty great. People really loved it. But it was still a very, very small business. And it wasn't until probably 2005 or so that um, my oldest brother, second oldest brother, Blaine, was into web design in high school. So he built my parents a very basic information-based website. But that's when awareness for grass-fed beef, pasture-raised pork and poultry, and kind of what was going on in agriculture and nutrition was really, you know, there was a consumer shift going on. So people were really turning to the internet to find those types of products. So we were very fortunate that my parents had some presence on the internet early back then. So we had people driving from places like Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, coming all the way out to that farm store, loading up their coolers and, and hauling it all back. And that's what really like sparked in our mind that there's actually a business here, um, you know, and there's consumer demand. So that's when a couple of my oldest brothers uh, got involved in the business full time, started to slowly grow it. I was the kid who said, for sure, this farming thing is not for me. Like, I'm not going to do this. I just like had like, that was like a promise I'd made to myself. Um, And so for me, I thought I'd never get involved, you know, and it really, that was because for me growing up, 
I helped out dad just like all the other brothers did um, out on the farm, baling hay. You know, he did some row crops uh, growing up and I don't know, you just didn't, it was hard to see a future there. Um, and there's nothing wrong with hard work, but it was hard work. And uh, so it was hard to see a career there. So just, it was not going to be for me. It wasn't until late in high school, I started to help out part-time as this little, you know, direct marketing business started to grow as we were selling, you know, uh, the products that we raised directly to the consumer, we were selling it online. Again, my brother Blaine, who was into web design, you know, ended up building an e-commerce website. So selling frozen meat products online is pretty untraditional, but you know, it really took off because those products were hard to find in the grocery store and the retail store. So a lot of people were turning to internet to find items like that. So I started helping him out doing just order fulfillment, customer service and stuff, uh, cause he needed some extra help. And this was probably like junior, sophomore year in high school or so. And I tell you what, that, that was fun cause you could tell we were building a business and it was growing and you could also feel the impact of a customer base who really appreciated what you had to offer. And that really changed things for me. So by the time I graduated high school, I knew I wanted to help him out, help him grow this business full time. Uh, so I got hooked in full time at that point, did some Ivy Tech uh, classes on the side, figured I'd go and get a degree anyways, just in case. But um, business was growing fast enough that quickly felt like a waste of time. So uh, you're looking at a dropout here. But yeah, that's a little bit of the story. Hey, that's awesome, Brooks. Yeah. So those of you that don't know, uh, Brooks is one of seven sons here at Seven Sons Farms. Yep. Uh, hence the name. Uh, Rings true. Yeah. Yes, 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 sir. Uh, yeah. So, so you're the CEO and co-founder of Grace Cart. Um, did you build that yourself? Was it you and Blaine? Can you give us a little background on that yeah. uh, venture in the business? Yeah, good question. So, early on, probably sophomore year of high school, um, you know, we were just using uh, out of the box e-commerce uh, products to sell online. So, I think we were using a platform called 3D Cart, which I think sold. That doesn't even exist anymore. But, you know, we're selling meat products online, so very untraditional. We're also not, it's not a product that you can just, um, you know, drop ship, pack in the mail and send it across the country and it'll be safe and sound, uh, right? So it was very different, especially at that time we were, um, our distribution model was delivering to regional pickup locations. So the customer would order on the website, then they'd meet us at a specific drop point at a specific date and time to pick up that order. So there was a lot of logistics that was involved, and a lot of communication that had to take place to make sure the customer knew what was going on, where they need to go. Um, you know, there's also the weird thing of selling, um, if you go into a butcher shop and you buy any muscle cuts, uh, they're gonna charge you by the weight for that product. You know, they're gonna set it on scale and charge you by the pound. Well, how do you recreate all of that online? Those are super tricky. So those are the challenges that we we're running into. I am not a software engineer. Uh, Blaine's not a software engineer. We both know some very basic HTML and CSS. I can do a little Google search and make a few tags apply to you know, pages, but that's about it. Um, so we actually got really fortunate because we knew we needed our own custom product, um, but uh, it was expensive to do. You know, we went to some local agencies um, around here and uh, told them what we were looking for, and we got quotes back for like six figures or so. And this was when the business was a lot smaller too. So uh, that definitely, we felt like we'd hit like just this major roadblock, and we were just stuck using these products that weren't built for our business and software that wasn't built for our business. So um, it was at a friend's giving. Yeah, this is, man, this is, this is yeah, probably sophomore year of high school. Uh, we were at a friend's giving party, and um, Blaine was having a conversation with um, uh, a buddy of his and actually someone who's tied to the family through marriage through Blake. So uh, Blake's wife's brother. Mm. 
So that's why this is what they were all together at the Thanksgiving. But he was kind of just explaining him some of our challenges. And he was techie growing up. Him and Blaine were like best friends in high school and stuff. So um, he was not a software engineer either. So this is the weird part. But he uh, was just techie enough where he was like, you know what? He knew enough. He thought, if you guys just take a shot at me, pay me what I'm getting paid now. I think he was delivering water bottles for um, Kelligan at the time. Oh, so wow. he's like, just pay me what I'm getting paid now. And like, this sounds way more fun. And I'll see if I can do it. Obviously, I'll have to kind of like coach myself through it. So I won't be, I'm not an engineer. And we're like, okay, fine, let's do it. You know, we didn't have anything to lose. Let's try this. So, um, so that was, yeah, would have been like 2012 or so. He built the first version of, um, of the uh, product through another product called Expression Engine. It was basically an e-commerce system that you could highly customize. So okay. he built that out. It was it got some of the things we needed, but uh, it wasn't great. So then we threw that one into trash, went for version two. Version two was better. Uh, he built that from the ground up in a, um, a PHP framework called Laravel. And uh, that one was, again, it was better, but also some things we wanted to change about that. Threw that one in the trash, and it was 2014. Uh, we launched version three of what is Grace Cart today. And, um, you know, the idea of it being its own software business, though, because we were just building software for us because we needed something specific. Um, but, you know, as the direct marketing business started to grow and we started hit, you know, into seven-figure ranges and stuff, we were attending... Um, a lot of industry agriculture type conferences, some grassroots like grass fed beef type production conferences and stuff. And uh, Blaine got asked to speak um, to talk about our direct marketing stuff. And um, as he started to get some of that exposure of what we were doing, that was like the common question we were getting for anyone else who was trying to sell meat products online was like, how are you guys handling the sell by weight thing? Like, what's your e-commerce system? And we're like, well, we built our own. And then we had like this waiting list of people who were like, let us use this too. So really we backed into a problem. We I tell everybody that Grace Carts are accidental um, SaaS company. I was gonna uh, say, I noticed uh, in an interview you did on LinkedIn, a clip from there, yeah, it really is yeah. your accidental SaaS company. Accidental SaaS company. So we completely backed into it, even when we made it available. So then we turned it into a multi-tenant SaaS app to where you could pay a monthly license fee to get access to it. Um, that was still like nothing we ever thought would be a business. We thought we could subsidize some of our costs of engineering, of having this developer, you know, full time building this thing. We could improve it faster. And that was about all the more our ambitions were for it. But, you know, long story short, over just a three year period, it just continued to grow. Like customers were coming in, the product was working, and then it just started to spread word of mouth. And we're lucky that we're kind of in this grassroots industry of farm to fork where more and more people are getting into it. And everyone's really willing to share and help each other out. So that really benefited us. So now today, fast forward, there's 450 uh, farm to fork brands. So that's going to be like um, farmers who are like us trying to sell direct consumer, uh, butcher shops, and uh, fishmongers, that's like my favorite thing to say. So fishmongers, those are going to be the, you know, any uh, fishermen who actually own their own boats and they want to sell direct consumer as well, have the same need. So pretty much people who are selling meat products online, that's our market. And uh, yeah, it's still a small software business, but there's, uh, I think there's five of us now and it's been a bunch of fun. Yeah, that's cool. Now, while you're talking about all this, I'm wondering, do you guys really have any competitors in that space? I can't say I've ever heard of yeah. And, you know, a company that's doing what you guys are doing. We do actually, and it it is actually really competitive, and it's getting it's gotten more competitive in the last few years. So there's probably like four, there's probably like three or four what I would call direct competitors who are building like um, online store e-commerce type software for farms. 
Um, and then, you know, of course, there's Shopify and all the other major players that are out there, which, um, you know, those brands have moved really fast and they look a lot different today than they did back when we got started. So what you can do on those platforms, they've really opened them up, opened up a developer ecosystem and, you know, an app marketplace, and they've tracked a lot of third-party developers. So they're moving really, really fast. So that honestly is where I would say our biggest competitor is, is just that Shopify ecosystem and what you can do there. There's definitely an element to where, um, you know, we're able to just purpose build everything around a specific use case. So that's kind of our niche and advantage there. Exactly. But there's definitely, you know, technology moves fast. So there's definitely pressure around and um, that's probably the stressful part of the business, but it's been going well. We just have to stay super, we have to, it, we have to stay super cognizant of where do we invest our resources because a team of two engineers versus, I don't know, Shopify has, you know, it's in the thousands it's, for yeah. sure. So, yeah. you know, a global company like that, we have to be super smart about what do we decide to actually invest in when it comes to technology? Where do you guys put most of your money? Or I guess how much, Where, when you invest in marketing, um, what social platforms bring in the most traffic? Where is it from? Is it email marketing? Is it SMS? Where do, where yeah. do you guys get the most from? You know, we're still like totally building this out. So like the marketing is, uh, we don't do, we don't do a whole lot when it comes to advertising. Again, Grace Cards, like our accidental SaaS has been right. growing through word of mouth. Right. Um, you know, we've been doing more with uh, partners, people who have a little bit of an audience who've had a really successful farm and they, uh, you know, want to teach other people, you know, how to be successful. Partner with those people, getting them to use the platform and then they talk about it and people, you know, follow them. And honestly, Seven Sons was that. And I think that's a big reason why it's grown to what it is today. Um, you know, early on when Blaine was getting asked to speak, that was kind of like a snowball effect. You speak once and then you get asked to speak here. And then all of a sudden it just starts continuing to grow and the amount of engagements you can do. So he was doing quite a bit for like a two-year period. And uh, Seven Sons has really developed a following of, uh, of other farms who just, you know, aspire to be able to quit their, you know, full-time job, go full-time on the farm. Um, you know, the uh, YouTube channel for Seven Sons, I think is like at 25,000 subscribers or so. Holy and crap. not all of those are like direct consumer customers. Most right. of those are other farms who right. are just interested in following along. So that's actually been a really big uh, growth tool for us. And we're trying to lean into that more. So that's kind of um, something that we want to do to grow the business more because there's, you know, there's technology and that's why I kind of have on my LinkedIn profile, you know, we're helping farms grow through direct to consumer with the right technology and the right strategy. Cause there's really two pieces to the equation. You can have the right tools and you can have the best tools, but if you have no idea how to deploy those and have a strategy to actually get in front of customers and convert those customers, then it's really not any good to you. You know, we actually have to do a lot of expectation management because um, farm, you know, the ag space obviously is a very low tech uh, industry. So you'll get people who just don't understand how the stuff works. They come to us and like, okay, I sign up for Grace Cart, and you know they're calling you next week and hey, where are my customers? It's like, well, it doesn't really work. We give you a website platform that enables you to you know, sell products the way that you need to, but you still, it is your responsibility to get that website out in front of customers and build an audience and, you know, convert those customers. So, um, you know, there's definitely a strategy component of where they just need coached through those things. So we're leaning deeper into that. Um, we're hoping to launch our first uh, uh, two-day workshop here on the farm uh, this April, where we'll actually get a group of these guys out here to coach them through what are the things that we've learned along the way. And, um, 
I think through that, we're also really trying to focus on how do we make people grow because our monetization of the software is tied directly to their success. So we're looking at how can we really take you know, someone who's got a little bit of something started, maybe they're like a six figure farm or so they're just about ready to go full time. And like, how do we take them to the point to where they've grown this thing? They've got several team members and stuff. Cause that's actually easier to do than it is to help that person who's just getting started. They have a really small budget, get those first hundred customers. That's the hardest part. Absolutely. Speaking of team members, how many uh, members are on the team of Grace Cart? Uh, there are, so let's see, four of us. So there's two engineers full time. Um, there's, uh, my cousin Elliot actually helps us out with support. He's awesome. does an incredible job. And, uh, we just hired a COO, um, to really take a lot of responsibility from my plate to free me up to actually focus more attention on growth and marketing strategies. Um, so there's the four of us, uh, Blaine still helps out as kind of a visionary founder for some of those biggest decisions that we turned to. And, you know, when I was hiring, uh, Brent, our COO, you know, I pulled Blaine into uh, those interview, interviewing process for like our top three, you know, candidates and stuff. So he helps out from a very, very high level when it comes to decisions um, um, on important aspects. So there's really just the five of us there, but the two businesses are tied very closely together because Grace Cart's still building this technology that Seven Sons desperately relies on and it needs to continue to evolve and innovate as that business continues to grow. Uh, so there's definitely a cross-sharing aspect of team members. So, you know, our CFO for the business, he's really CFO for all of the brands that we operate. And there's several other team members there who will plug in in some key areas. Like we run a podcast of our own. So uh, Brock, he's our creative design guy so he also uh you know he manages the podcast and all the multimedia work for all of that so if you break it down to full-time equivalents there's probably more closer like six of us um when you think about it on a, a daily aspect yeah so, that's awesome yeah go ahead awesome so um when you're talking about the business and you're talking about the time investment um how much time are you putting in a week and like when you were starting how much was it and then yeah. about where is it going now that's a good question uh so early on when uh, like fresh out of high school i mean in that time your period before between 18 to 22 you know it's definitely it's like you know probably 60 hour weeks or so um for the most part um yeah if i had to guess now um you know it's closer to and you know it's even now at the point to like okay where do you like draw that line of like what's work and like what's not you know if i'm reading about work or like learning about uh, this you know big problem i'm trying to solve you're going to count that stuff so it's probably closer to 50 55 hours at this point um continuing trying to work it back if you ask Catherine, she might have a little bit of a different answer but um <laughs> but yeah it's probably around 50 55 hours or so but yeah it's a it's a battle to uh you know put those boundaries in place and to to shut it off but um and it's tough too because now especially what's harder now even though i think i have got some better habits in place is um uh you know the work is can be done completely remote so like the grace cart brand um you know we're all it's a distributed team um we've got uh, people all across the globe and four different time zones so Jeez. uh you know so it can be done anywhere so uh you know i can definitely take any of that work home at this point and i do work more days from home so it's harder to turn that off but yeah we're probably 50 55 hours a week at this point okay yeah very cool so you're a busy guy you know you're with seven sons you're a grace cart you know you like to read you like to work out um how do you boost productivity without causing burnout yeah um i don't know if i have a good answer on the burnout people well, actually uh the burnout side of it um you know i think a big part of that is making sure that you're prioritizing you know every 
maybe not every, but other domains of your life. So obviously there's vocational in our professional world, right? But then there's your social life. If you have a spouse or a dating, you know, you've got that whole aspect too. And then of course, as you continue to grow, I'm actually, we are expecting our first, so parenthood is, is on its way. Um, so I think it's, you know, I did a bad job early on, I think where 18 to 22, you know, a lot of my friends went off to college and stuff. So like for me, it was super easy just to put my head down and focus on work and try to get ahead. Um, and I definitely didn't put the time that I should have into maintaining a lot of close relationships and friendships that I had with people uh, during that time period, which everybody was busy. Um, and I think I use that as a little bit of an excuse, but I wasn't putting in that time to still though, make sure that that was an important aspect of my life and that I was doing things with friends and that um, I was developing and networking, you know, my social circle. So it was really heads down. You know, I did a lot of reading. There was a lot of growth in that time period, but that was definitely an area that I think let go that, that led me to, probably one or two times when you think about it since um, high school and got started where, you know, I would consider I got into some burnout phases. Um, the productivity side, uh, this gets me probably into um, some favorite books. Um, Michael Hyatt is, um, we actually, we've hired several um, business coaches and joined some coaching programs over the years. So Michael Hyatt was one of our business coaches. We were in his coaching program for three years where it's basically, an accelerator, there's a group of 20 of you who's in a group and you go down to his office in uh, Franklin uh, every quarter for an on-site and there's a lot of online material and stuff. But anyways, uh, he's a, he's definitely a mentor uh, that I followed. A lot of the other brothers have followed who um, his whole focus is how to help you get the double win is what he calls it. So how do you win at work and succeed at life? Um, because there's definitely, um, you know, like a fallacy out there that, um, uh, you know, you can't have both and you can't be balanced. Um, but that's what his whole material is about. Like, how do you grow your business more than it's ever grown and get it under better control and have it be less stressful than it's ever been, but also not have to sacrifice, you know, your home life or your personal life, um, at the same time. And those goals are moving forward. So he has a really holistic approach to, uh, goal setting. Um, and a lot of his books go into it, but probably the best book that goes into it is called The Best Year Ever, where he helps you. He has a framework to help you figure out, okay, what do you really want out of your life in the next five years and set a vision for that? Um, and then break those down and say, okay, what are some goals that you can achieve this year? Try to, try to hold that to seven to 10 or so. And then he also has, I don't have it with me here, but he has his own um, uh, free to focus planner system. Um, and that uh, planner is supposed to basically tie into his goal setting framework of taking those annual goals, breaking them down into, okay, what are the three things this week that you're going to do that ideally contribute back to those goals? So not like the three like biggest projects that you have going on. It's the three most important things you can do, even if they're small things to like make progress towards those annual goals. And then it goes all the way down to daily pages where you, you focus, okay, what are three things you can do today that move those goals forward? So um, it's a really good framework. I definitely need uh, that structure because uh, naturally I'm not a structured person like that. And uh, I've never done good with uh, planning and being proactive. So that system was really key to me. Absolutely. Um, so when, when did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or do your own thing? within the business where has they just come naturally being on the farm? Yeah. And like, you know, I actually don't want to, uh, I don't want to undermine the uh, opportunity that was given to me and also uh, the team effort that is involved in still what I do, even at Grace Cart, you know? So, um, you know, I definitely 
from uh, from that time period of soft, probably junior year, maybe getting closer to senior year in high school before it really clicked to me. Um, you know, I don't know what it, what it, if there was a moment or anything, but um, you know, just because I don't even think I really thought about having my own business even up until that point. And if that was really something I wanted to do, I was honestly like as clueless as you could be. I was like, I was, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to go Ivy tech. I'm going to get probably a business degree and that'll, that'll help me out. I was still super serious about basketball at that time. I was like, maybe I can still get into a school somewhere to, to play basketball and stuff. And like, that's where my world was at that time. But, um, you know, it really was, uh, you know, the, the farm business with seven sons, what was really fun about that was it was super rewarding work because yeah, we got to do the fun entrepreneurial business things of, you know, we're building an e-commerce website. We're trying to see, okay, how do we get this perishable frozen product, you know, out to more consumers. So we're getting to markets like Chicago and Detroit and Indianapolis. And, you know, uh, um, one of my like first early, like big projects that like uh, Blaine game to me, that was a big a problem in the business and a big opportunity was figuring out how do we ship this product directly to our customers' doors. So getting it all into frozen boxes and ship through carriers like UPS and even local and regional carriers. And um, that was actually a blast. And that project probably helped click some of like, hey, you know, solving big problems like this is fun. And connecting with our customers was a blast because they were so appreciative of the product that we were selling, especially, you know, back early on during those days where it was a lot harder to find that. Because you get people who, you know, like my mom end up in serious health crisis where they're at a point to where, you know, they're going to the doctor, they're telling them there's not a lot that they can do, especially in the medical community back then too, you know, naturopathic doctors and stuff was not nearly as common. So, you know, a lot of those people are just at like, their last resort was, okay, let me look at nutrition. And we're able to really turn around their situation through their diet. And those people were just incredibly grateful for what we were doing and feeling that impact of what we're doing. Um, I mean, I think that's what really inspired me to like, okay, we're building a business. This is fun. We're solving like all those entrepreneurial problems that you have to, in order to uh, grow a business, you know, um, even like early out of high schools when we started hiring kind of our first team members and stuff. I'm like, that was weird. I'd never been on the other side of an interview. Here I am interviewing somebody else. That was like super strange. And I was probably more nervous in that situation yeah. than the person <laughs> I was interviewing. Um, but yeah, all that was a blast. So I think it was a slow progression to me to where I was like, all right, I'm going to do this full time. And then as we continue to have to solve bigger problems, grow the team, it just really cemented it in my mind that, yeah, this is a blast and this is this is what I want to do. So yeah. talking about your successes, um, what has been some of the biggest successes that you've seen? And then what are some failures that you've seen in both sides? Yeah, I'll probably start. The failures are easier. I don't know, sometimes to remember. <laughs> um, but definitely, uh, you know, I speak like, I say we often because um, Blaine and I definitely, um, we viewed a lot of aspects of the business that we grew as a partnership. Um, you know, we worked really, really well together. Um, and that, that's definitely a key. We can unpack that a little bit later. But, um, you know, biggest challenges were for us was uh, hiring and growing the team, you know, because it started out as this family business. You know, we we weren't even like looking at it as like, Oh, Hey, we're wearing this entrepreneur hat and stuff. I was like, well, you know, Blaine was looking for some way that he could have a full-time career on the farm. So like this thing started to really grow. We started to see the opportunity and we just naturally really enjoyed that growth. And it was really cool to see the business grow into something that's bigger than we ever thought it you know, would be. Um, so that definitely put a drive into us, but growing it outside of the family, um, that was definitely like one of those ceilings that we hit, you know, you had the family that was involved, we all got along well and you didn't really need the typical 
structure that a business would need, right? And you didn't have to, nothing had to be perfect. We were kind of on the same page without having to talk about it. And then all of a sudden, well, we needed more people. So um, hiring outside of the team was definitely where we had some big lessons um, because at first we just turned to our social circle of friends. Um, you know, hey, well, who are people we know who could maybe do this job? Um, and that was like pretty much the criteria. Do we know you? Are you a friend? And can you maybe do the job? I don't know. And let's try it. And, uh, and you know, we, we had some really good, you know, uh, s- some people who got involved who luckily it was a great fit. But um, also when you go into that without super clear expectations for anybody, um, you know, uh, and if it's not a great fit, those are important relationships. So that just means it's that much more challenging when, you know, things aren't going well and you have to do something different. So I would say that's definitely, those have been the biggest challenges of just figuring out, okay, you know, when we have a role inside the business that we need to recruit for, how do we come up with a job description that sets the right expectation? And when someone gets involved and we're onboarding to make sure we're all on the same page and we're clear about, okay, this is what success in this role looks like in three months, six months. Um, this is what it doesn't look like. Um, and that way we're able to just find people who can contribute. And, you know, and that also piggybacks into the biggest wins have definitely been expanding the team outside of us and getting really, really, really smart people involved. Um, you know, every single time we've had a growth ceiling and we've pushed through that, it's pretty much, you can tie most of those back to like a key team member getting involved. Early on, it was our first uh, CFO who we just hired in as a con- on a contract basis because, uh, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't go to school for any of this. So the books were not, were not great. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that actually took a ton of, uh, that took some confidence. Um, I remember the day Blaine told me, he's like, yeah, there's a, there's a consultant coming in today and we've got to just open up the books and just show them the truth, like what it, you know, what it looks like, no matter how, how poorly we're doing it. And uh, we're really lucky because uh, Amy Wilson, we got her involved and um, uh, she was great. And she was definitely, um, you know, a teacher where I think a lot of people in the accounting world um can speak over your head super fast. And for her, she really enjoyed just helping people learn. So she really just taught us financial literacy and, you know, what does that need to look like? And that was a huge growth year for our business. You know, the next one was getting um, a digital marketer involved pretty much full time. And, you know, that was our next big growth phase. So every big success has really come down to figuring out, okay, where are we getting hung up? Where's a big opportunity in the business? And are we equipped to drive that opportunity or do we have to find somebody to drive it for us? Um, which more often than not, it's find somebody to drive it for you. Who's an expert in that world. And, um, those have been some of the biggest ones. Absolutely. For somebody wanting to join the seven sons or grace cart team, what are some of the qualities you guys look for in hiring? Whether if it's, you know, a COO or just somebody, you know, working in the warehouse. Yeah. Uh, so first thing we kind of look at, uh, a couple of things, but like first thing is going to be whether or not they feel like they're a culture fit. Um, and we, if you go to the careers page, it's going to have the values that are written down on there that we kind of, you know, hold true. So, um, we want to make sure that you're going to, uh, gel with the team, uh, that they're going to take ownership over their work, um, that they're people of integrity. So there's definitely questions that you can ask to help see, um, you know, where do their values align? We actually do this exercise where we have them go through our core values and say, okay, hey, out of these, you know, five values, which one do you think is least important? And would you take away if you had to take one away? 
or do you feel like there's something missing that you would add back? And that's always a fun exercise. It's also really fun just to see and really dig into their past um, experience of, okay, um, we have this interview where it's a, it's actually a pretty long interview where we'll go through the whole resume and just talk about every single role and actually go all the way back to high school. And that's a lot of fun because you can get people really relaxed when it comes to going all the way back and talking about high school. You know, uh, what would your teachers say about you and those types of things? What were some highs and lows in that time period? And then we just pretty much rinse and repeat like a series of five or six questions for every role that they've had and we really want to learn okay why did they transition from role to role um because that really helps bring insights into okay did they leave on good terms did they burn any bridges um was it a push or pull factor meaning were they getting pulled to something better meaning they had a better opportunity to go to or were things just not going great where they were and, um, you know, they needed to find something different because it wasn't fun. They weren't getting along and stuff. So those tell you a lot kind of just about, you know, where they might fit into our culture. And then after that, so that kind of starts first, if you can check that box um, and, you um, you know, we, then we can move on to uh, skill sets um, of can they actually do the hard skills that we've defined into the role, um, which uh, those ones can be equally as hard to answer fully depending on how technical the, the role is and um, how up to speed we are on that area. Um, and then lastly is just like, okay, personality. Like, are they really going to fit with who they're going to be working with? Um, which, you know, that's in order of importance. That's the least important. And, um, you know, again, we can get along with a lot of different people. So that's really not a, a huge issue, but we look at it really in that order. Okay. Yeah. What are some of your uh, daily habits for connecting with your team members? Yeah, I could, uh, this one's tough. I could do better here. I'm for sure a, uh, introvert through and through. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so I'm that guy who sometimes in a, uh, a busy week, uh, likes to go up to the office and I can definitely, uh, you know, try to create my little corner and cave and get upstairs real quick and just, you know, tuck inside and, uh, and get started with work. Cause there's always a lot that needs done, but yeah, you definitely have to be intentional. We, um, you know, I would say we, um, are pretty intentional about the routine meetings, um, that we have. So, um, you know, we have our core leadership team meeting every Thursday. Um, and that's a great time to just connect with everybody. It's a 90 minute meeting. Um, but it's really great too, because it eliminates a lot of one-off conversations that you need to have throughout the week. We always start that meeting with, uh, uh, sharing some uh, personal uh, good news and some professional good news. And um, if you don't have any personal good news, then maybe that's an issue too. Maybe you're, again, in a time period where you're sacrificing stuff at home and stuff. So it's always fun to hear what's going on in people's lives. So that means always a good time. But I don't know, you know, it's really, um, you know, we're super fortunate to work with people who are really good at what they do and they're fun to be around. And um, that's, I mean, if you're in that position to, grow a team you totally have to prioritize that because you know you spend more time with the people you work with than really anybody else so it's gotta you gotta enjoy the people that you're with every day so i don't and i think if you do that um and you're intentional about that of like who's coming in the team and like do they gel and is when someone comes in a room does you know do you feel the energy just suck out of the room if so like maybe it's not a good fit for everybody you know and there's a there's another team that um, they feel energized by and, and it's uh, vice versa so being super intentional about who's on the team, I think that take, takes care of everything else. I don't think you have to be nearly as intentional about, of course, yes, you have to connect with your team, but it comes, I think, much more naturally and it's easier just to get to know everybody because you enjoy being around them. 
Absolutely. And this is a crazy story. I was getting my haircut uh, a couple weeks ago and, you know, me and the uh, barber, uh, well, she is a lady, so I don't know if she's a barber, but <laughs> I, was getting my hair, I was getting my haircut and she's like, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, I was like, oh, I grew up in Roanoke, Indiana, uh, worked as Seven Sons from the age of eight to 18. Yep. And she's like, oh, really? Uh, I, get, I ordered my meat from there and I know a couple of the kids that have come out of Seven Sons that work there and I can tell you what, every single one is a good kid that has a good head on their shoulders. So you guys are doing something right with the hiring process and, you know, almost like building, you know, these young men up in the culture here. Well, we've been super fortunate. You know, one of the big things we've been doing lately is uh, that's been the biggest breakthrough for finding the right people has been, and this is more, you know, talking like, especially for management and our leadership team, but we, uh, we, put, we invest quite a bit in recruiting and advertising for different roles. And I think a lot of businesses don't like they see that as like a necessary evil and you know, so they don't look at that, but like, these are literally the most important decisions you'll make. These are people you're going to spend, you know, the most amount of time with. So we, our goal is always to get around 80 applicants for every hire or so. And that's a ton of work to like, okay, now break down the process right. to find the right person out of that. But that's been definitely the number one thing to like find people who we feel like it's a great fit for them and it's a good fit for us. So yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's been a lot of fun, but yeah, thanks for making the connection. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about that on the show, but I'm talking to two seven sons alumni here. That's right, who, uh, baby. Yes, are taking the podcast big time. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I was up at the house washing eggs in the basement with Bryce when I was quite literally eight years in old. the house in, yeah, in, in, the, way in, the, basement, in the basement. Way yeah. Wow. And then eventually, you know, got out into the warehouse. I spent majority of my time with uh, Bryce and uh, a couple of the, other guys out in the pastures with uh, the lane hens nice. and everything. And then, yep. you know, at one point got up in the office, started doing some shipping administrator uh, work and Brooks gave me a few projects as well. And I'll tell you what, Brooks is a great guy. I'm glad he could, you know, hop on here and uh, spend some of his time. I know he's a busy guy, but I really do look up to Brooks. I mean, he's telling his story of, you know, he's faced a lot of adversity from the ages of, you know, 18 to 22 and trying to grow and find, you know, where he fits in the world. And I, I look up to him in that sense. And I, you know, I feel like that's how we've connected. You know, I haven't worked for Seven Sons for a few years now, but we still stay in contact. And yeah, Brooks, a, you know, he's a great guy to look up to. And that plays into... You know, my next question here, you're busy, you got seven sons, you got Grace Carr, yep. you know, you got a wife, you got, you know, you yep. got family. Sure do. How do you handle the stress that comes with all this responsibility? Because for me personally, you know, I got this podcast, I work at One Resource Group, I just started my digital marketing agency. Oh, and I got a girlfriend too. <laughs> it's hard, yeah. you know, and you know, you know, when you start facing growth, that just means you got more responsibility. So how do you handle that? Yeah, no, it's super, super tough. Um, I don't know if I have uh, great answers and insights because I'm still figuring this piece out mm -hmm. and definitely don't. Um, consider this to be okay I've got that hard lesson learned and now I've fixed it all and right. uh, and I've got stuff to share here but you know I will say it's like you know really um you know honestly the um a few things that have been helpful is really reading and finding not even like it doesn't even have to be a, a personal uh, mentor although I have those too but people that you look up to who have that figured out um and figured out better than you do um and whether that's people that you're uh finding through books that you read um or people that you you know see in business who are ahead of you or on your team who are ahead of you who have more of that figured out um so being around people who prioritize that and actually 
really care about getting that right, making sure that, um, yeah, their business is growing, but they're also, um, you know, they're not getting um, their relationship to a point where there's a lot of frustration there and, uh, you know, and bitterness that grows over, you know, where you're actually prioritizing your time because you're for sure, uh, you know, your spouse will sense it if uh, what's most important in your life at the end of the day. So if, uh, if you know, you're pouring all of your time and energy into work, um, that's what's going to feel like it's most important, you know, and that's just the way it is. So, um, so you got to be around people who are prioritizing their relationships, prioritizing their marriage, and also are prioritizing growing and trying to become a better person, um, enjoy reading, enjoy, you know, finding uh, mentors and investing in it. Um, because if you're around a group of people who just tell you that, um, Hey, you know what, you're in a phase of life. Don't worry about it, buddy. You know, cause you're young, you can just put, you know, all of your time into this for now. Um, and you know, some people carry that with them, you know, for a lot longer too. Um, and so I think being super aware about who you're spending your time with, making sure that those are people that, uh, prioritize it too. Um, I will say for me, um, like a, kind of a virtual mentor, mentor, even though, you know, we have met through his coaching program, Michael Hyatt, um, you know, his whole coaching program is built around this, getting the double win, making sure that you're prioritizing both sides. So like all of his, you know, books really dig into, you know, that as like the core underlying premise and, you know, the, uh, you know, he calls it the full focus planner. So it's a life planner. That's the whole goal is that it's such, you know, most, business planners and work planners are all about how do you structure your work day to be productive and get things done. Well, his whole thing, you know, is about how do you actually structure your life to where you're getting the most important things in your life done. So when you're writing down your annual goals, you need actually have to check off like which life domain does this apply to? Is this a professional work goal or is this actually a marital goal where like you have a goal to, um, you know, go on X many dates a year that you plan, right? Um, and you put the effort into not, not your spouse right. or your partner, yeah. you know, um, or, you know, something else that's where maybe you want to go on a marriage retreat. So, um, um, you know, uh, he is always um, encouraging you to make sure that you only have like up to, I think it's like up to three in one domain. Like if you've got over three goals in one year, that's all about work. Then you probably know that you're in a time period where, I mean, you need to just be reflecting about, are you still prioritizing, you know, those other relationships that are important? So that's been a huge help for me because when you can sit down at the beginning of the year and actually say, okay, you're doing that upfront planning for the rest of the year of what's most important to me and where do I want to spend my time for the rest of the year? Now, it's a lot easier said than done um, in actually, you know, developing those habits where you stay consistent to, even though I set some goals that I felt good about at the time for, you know, either, um, uh, my social life or, you know, marriage or even financial goals. Uh, it's easy to, to fall off track. Um, and again, habits don't come natural to me. Uh, so that system has been super helpful. Um, and I'm getting better at it every single year. Um, this year I will have achieved the most amount of goals. I think I'll be at 80% or so. And that's the hardest part is, Finding systems like that, um, and I know we're going to talk about books, you know, Atomic Habits is a great book and stuff too, but finding systems like that where you're trying to develop habits, the hardest part is actually doing it and trying to follow the system and failing miserably and then repeating it and trying again, uh, trying again the next year and getting just a little bit better. So um, yeah, that system has been super helpful when it comes to prioritizing you know, both or areas of my life that I want to prioritize. So you talk about Michael Hyatt a lot. Um, is he one of the, like the bigger mentors that you've had or like role models you've had through this entire process or who is that? Yeah, that? he's big. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of, 
uh, a lot of authors and stuff um, that then I end up following on social media. And, um, but, uh, you know, another coaching program that Blaine and I joined, uh, we were only in it for a year, but it was by a guy named uh, Dan Martell. And so he's a um, he has this um, SaaS Academy coaching program, which is all for um, software. So software as a service, SaaS um, entrepreneurs. And I tell you what, that was a blast. Uh, that guy's super smart. Um, it was obviously all the content um, and his coaching was much more tailored around, um, you know, the specific industry and the business. Um, but he had a ton of uh, really, really good uh, life advice um, as well. So um, he's, uh, he's someone who talks a lot about how do you integrate instead of finding like that balance of like some people are like, okay, four o'clock, I'm done, you know, and then I'm going home, I'm shutting everything off. You know, he's, he's a lot about how do you, how do you integrate those both areas of your life to where you are, you know, uh, prioritizing every area of your life, but you know, it doesn't have to look like a, a rigid structured system. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, and he's also one of those guys who's, uh, in the gym every single day. So he's prioritizing his health. And like, those are all things that like I really aspire to. So like he's, he's got it figured out, um, in, in those areas. And, uh, so it's definitely, he's an aspirational mentor of mine all around. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you're naturally an introvert Yep. for the introverts listening at home. You're, you're extremely well-spoken and everybody that's listened to this podcast can already tell what are some, uh, you know, what's a tip that you would give to somebody that, you know, is shy on the shyer side and then they're trying to become more personable and, um, you know, really, you know, be, you know, connect people with better. Cause I always say two things. Uh, one is that ask people questions about themselves yep. and to compliment them yeah. and the conversation's easy as that. That's great advice. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the uh, the biggest thing actually just comes back to uh, Dan Martell. So when you talk about um, you know mentors that I've looked up to is um, uh, you know getting out of I mean it sounds cliche, but really truly getting out of your comfort zone and just doing things that you know you don't want to do and saying yes anyways. Um, you know, he actually has he. Um, I think he had a session um, in that group that we're in where he's talking about getting better at public speaking because uh, software entrepreneurs are often introverted people, you know, who 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 came out of uh, being an actual engineer. You know, they built their own app and now they're supposed to sell it, you know, to people and like yeah. that's like crazy land for them, right? So, um, you know, uh, you know, the big thing he talks about he has a, he had a framework where he went into there, but the big thing I remember from it was um, was reps. He just said reps. Um, you have to say yes to things that make you uncomfortable, but you know, you want to get better at and, you know, do that, um, on repeat. Anytime you have the opportunity, your default is just yes. So mm -hmm. like, um, for me for a while it was public speaking. Cause I, uh, boy, I hated that. Like that, like was like, you know, everyone talks about that, like being a lot of people talk about that being their biggest fear. Like for sure. That was like my biggest fear, like, uh, getting up in front of people. All this. I could not stand that. And it's still something that, you know, is intimidating, but, um, um, now, whenever I have the opportunity to say yes to something like that, that is, I try to make that my, my default. Um, as long as it's on a topic that I know something about, you definitely don't want to get up in front of a group that you know nothing about the topic and stretch yourself out because uh, the people listening know more about it than you do. You don't want to get in that situation. But if you know more than the average person in a certain industry or on a certain topic that will be there in the audience. Like you just have to say, you have to say yes. So yeah, getting out of uh, your comfort zone and, um, you know, putting yourself into, you know, environments too, that are, that are new. 
um, it can be a way to influence a lot of growth and you know force you to kind of get out of your bubble to go and meet new people. Um, you know, even for me, I come from a family who grandpa didn't go to college. My dad didn't go to college. None of my brothers went to college. Um, and the same is true on my mom's side of the family. So, uh, even me just, even though it was just, uh, you know, community college in Fort Wayne and stuff, but at that time coming out of high school and like going to school and like actually trying to prioritize that, um, and make that a thing that was way out of my comfort zone, uh, back then. But, you know, I said, uh, I said yes anyways. Um, you know, part of that too, you got to look at times in your life where you, uh, you know, have a big challenge as an introvert and you have a big wake up call. So for me, actually, Catherine, and I've been married for five years and it's been awesome, but she broke up with me, uh, the first time we dated when we were 19 and, uh, that like sucked. I was like, this was dream girl. I was like super pumped about it. And then boom, it ended. And I was like, wow, like that was a huge, like, okay, what am I and for me, you know, um, there was a lot of situations, uh, factors that went into it. But for me, like, I really took it personal. Of like, okay, I also, I need to get more going for me in my life to be, you know, someone who's a, uh, you know, a, a more attractive partner, right, to people and stuff. So, like, that's the way I internalized it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, really looked at, okay, that was a wake-up call for me to get out of my comfort zone, become more of somebody who people would mistake as an extrovert. I actually have that written down um, as part of like my five-year, 10-year goals. I, I want people to mistake me for an extrovert. And I actually had somebody say that to me the other day for the first time. So I was like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, yes. I was Doing something right, baby. I had that written down for a long time. Uh, Introvert's Edge is a really good book for anyone who's trying to get into business and you're an introvert uh so you know if you're in business you're gonna have to sell to people you're gonna have to sell your business to people you're trying to recruit and hire uh introverts edge to selling introverts edge to networking um that was a that was a good book for me i actually came across that one recently and wish it was one of those books where i was like i wish i would have read this five years ago <laughs> right. right but yep. uh but that's definitely something when i do come across someone who's you know shares that same challenge um, is something that I would turn them to. Yeah, for me personally, I love talking to people. I like to think of myself as an extroverted person. And the past few months ago, uh, me and Austin started up a marketing association. We're marketing club at PFW. I started getting, nice. and so I'm the president, Austin's the vice president. I started getting invited to speak in front of crowds of 100, 200, 300 people. Nice. I'm like, oh yeah, that, you know, naturally that's fine. You get up on that stage, you get those butterflies. <laughs> oh, yeah. And even being an extrovert, and I think, and I'm so glad I didn't, you know, turn away from those opportunities. And that's been my biggest thing these past, this past year is I haven't said no to one opportunity. Like if something comes up, I'm taking it. Cause you yeah. never know where it could take you. Yeah. And you know, you, yeah, the reps and even if it's small, like if, if like public speaking for you, like you're just saying like, okay, that's like, like nowhere near something I'm comfortable with right now. But, uh, if you do are interested in business at all, like creating some form of content, you know, I think it's awesome that you guys are doing the podcast. Cause I tell people, people ask, you know, Blaine and I, we do the podcast. Um, you know, people ask us a lot, okay, does that pay for itself? Is it worth the time and stuff? And they're super hard to attribute. Like, is this turning into dollar signs? It does create certain opportunities to talk. It's a good excuse to talk to certain people that you want to talk to and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I like one of the biggest things is honestly, is it keeps, both of us in that practice of just creating content um, and uh, being able to, you know, coach it because, you know, coaching our clients 
to the strategies that they need to be implementing is super important and it keeps all of that really really fresh so it's it's literally the the reps aspect of where you don't you don't get nearly that rust effect um, when it comes to okay yeah the next time that you've got to put together a presentation or lead a big team meeting um, it's just getting more comfortable with uh, yeah saying what you mean and uh, you know being able to talk in front of people and you get so much more confidence by doing that so I just got invited to uh, speak in front of 100 200 uh, financial advisors uh, to help them with digital marketing nice. I'd be crap I'd be crapping yeah. my pants uh-huh. right now if I hadn't spoken into in front of those crowds this past summer yeah it, and that that's the thing you have to realize too going into this that you know you probably agree that uh if you're listening when you start doing those reps those first reps reps are going to be the ugliest your form is you know you have no clue what you're doing like mm-hmm. uh Catherine does crossfit and i still won't go because i know i'm not i'm gonna look like that guy <laughs> in the gym who's just like you know taking just the bar and not doing those squats right, right. or whatever they do you know there's an art to all of that so um but your first reps are gonna be the ugliest my first ever uh time uh public speaking was um for college class and it was a disaster that very first one i was just like holy i was so embarrassed i went home i was just like i cannot believe that turned out the way it was or like i'm literally stuttering to get words out at the end i'm like then i go to my desk and uh but it was awful you know it was terrible and uh but by the time i got to the end of that class it was like when you look at the improvement was like that was also like the the time period of the most improvement most rapid improvement so um, when you do it, you've got to, you know, you got to fail and you might have five times that you fail before you finally have one time where you felt actually good about yourself. And the minute you start to get that positive reinforcement, it feels super good. And then it makes it easier to start saying yes the next time. And that's the place you want to get to. And it's cool because public, you look like a superhero if you know how to speak in front of crowds because everybody's so afraid to do it. And if you can get through that adversity it's a, it's a huge confidence booster. Yeah, for sure. If you're able to get to that point, especially if you're introverted, it's going to show up then in just the way that you interact with in social settings. Yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So uh, we'll start to wrap this up. I, I know we wanted to mention, uh, you're, you've already mentioned some books here. Uh, could you give us, uh, you know, top three uh, books of yours yeah. or some of your um, favorites? I'll break them into categories. So uh, Atomic Habits, we talked about that one. That one's definitely like an all-time uh, favorite just about developing good routines and habits and it's like I know I'm going to like probably reread that one this year because um, I'm still trying to figure out you know certain habits and stuff I've been doing better at the gym these last six months and that's oh, been great and I need to keep that going but like ever since I've been married these last five years like I always like uh, get that habit going and then you know we did 75 hard and then I was like oh okay this will do it 75 hard two workouts a day for 75 days and then like the next 75 days after that zero workouts um so i really struggle with like keeping those habits in place that uh you know that i i want to be there so tom mccow's been awesome though because he's a um just his writing style have you read it oh yeah yeah great book and he's just fun to read feels super relatable um and just a guy that like you'd enjoy uh having a podcast with or going to dinner with or something so that that one's really good when it comes to just i mean you can apply that to every area you know i had Catherine read it you know that's uh it's a big book for her too um so personal improvement there um eight i think it's eight laws um of growth by uh, john maxwell i think i want to mention that one because if you're earlier on in your career it's a really good book it was one of those books i've read recently that i was like wow i wish i read this one I was, you know, first starting because it's literally, it talks about a lot of the stuff that he normally talks about, but it breaks it down to a framework of like, what are things if you're wanting to grow that you can 
put yourself in an environment where you have rapid growth and give you the confidence to actually do it because a lot of his stuff is all about mindset of helping you like okay here's why this is going to improve your life here's why it's worth the pain and the embarrassing moments of doing the reps for the first time um so that was really good um and the uh, the other two more uh i have two more uh alter ego effect um is awesome uh you can just go ahead and look into that one and then the last one is uh seven decisions by uh andy andrews that was like the first one that um that was something I actually haven't read the, the full book, um, but he has a presentation that goes over it that I watched when I was really young, but that was what really taught me about personal responsibility. So he has a story in there where he talks about, um, he tells you to go, go back to the time in your life where uh, you were the most miserable. It was just like the worst moment you were down in the dumps and it's the worst time period of your life. And uh, he says, think about this. You got to that moment because of your best thinking. Like your mm. best thinking got mm. you to that moment because nobody's trying to fail, right? Like right. you're not trying to fail. I wasn't trying to be at this point to where, yeah, you know, um, you know, you know, things just, you know, I looked like I had no career in front of me. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And like, that was definitely a time period, you know, Catherine and I broke up at 19 and like, that was definitely a, a low area of my life where like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Girlfriend just broke up to me. I'm like, like what's next? But, right. um, but it, it is helpful to think back to, Okay, your best thinking, you're using your best thinking, even if there's circumstances in your environment that you don't have control over, you were still using your best thinking at the point to where you got to your worst. Yep. So uh, it's just a reminder that you got yourself there. So you're the only one who can get, you're the best person to get yourself out, but also your best thinking got you there. So um, it makes sense to turn to other people who are further ahead than you, who have figured things out that you haven't, or that you just want to be like. And, um, you know, be get in close proximity with them, follow them, read their books, and um, you know, use some enlist some others people's thinking to help get you out of those those worst moments. So, seven decisions, Andy Andrews. That was a, I mean, that's like probably you're going back to uh, some, some really old books, but uh, yeah. but it definitely has foundational principles in there that's really good. Yeah, one of my favorite sayings is, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're not doing something right. Because yep. you always want to reach that next level. Because you're not always you're not the smartest person in the world. There's always somebody that's a step ahead of you yep. that you need to get to. So, yeah, you know that's super important, and everyone has to be thinking, about, especially early on in your career. You need to be thinking about what you have to think about a little bit as you get later on in your career. Is uh, uh, you need to be careful not to always, especially if you're not uh, you know, building your own business and you're part of a, a bigger team and a bigger eco ecosystem to not always try to uh, you know, uh, serve up or please up, meaning that you're trying to do everything you can to please your boss or to you know, check off that next goal. And like, those are the only people that you're investing into because you want to help yourself stand out. And if you have a team under you, uh, you have to make sure that you're also figuring out, okay, how, how do I support these guys too? Um, so there's a double lens of that, but for sure early on in your career, like you've just got to be obsessed about what's that, the proximity principle of the people that you spend the most time with. Cause I mean, it definitely, the way what I've seen and people I hang out with and times of my life, it's definitely uh, truth. It all ends up wearing off at the end of the day. Absolutely. I want to go back to books real quick. Austin, what is your uh, favorite book you've read thus far? So, so far, um, I think it would be the um, 
the one about the life plan living forward mm. and so okay. they really are just um, really focused on um, making a life plan just making sure you have a goal keep yeah. goals set up and it's like it's a basically it's about writing a paper for the plan for the next five ten years and it's a paper that you can change up and you ultimately you want to keep changing it because you obviously want to build bigger and bigger goals each time so each time you make one of those successes you'd go on the paper and then you make another goal for yourself and it's just kind of a, like a plan because obviously if you want to be successful in really anywhere, you want to have kind of a plan set out before you so you can look at it and be like, okay, this is what I want to do like t in today alone. Yeah. And yeah. Then, so you just have kind of a guideline to follow. It's uh, if you don't, have a plan for your life someone else is going to have a plan for it but yeah no that book is uh that actually is that process i went through to write down somewhere in my life plan was uh i want people to mistake me as an extrovert and that's right. where it's written down but yeah that is uh i'm really glad you mentioned that because that's one of those books too that i wish like when i was your age i had read and i'd actually gone through the process because the first time you go through that process of trying to create that plan for your life, again, that's when it's going to be its messiest. And mm -hmm. that's when it can also be the most discouraging be like, all right, this doesn't work. But, but it's so key and so important to stick with it. You know, it probably helped if you actually reflect, it helped in some areas of your life. So you need to go, okay, how do I make this thing better year after year right. after year? The first year I had those 10 annual goals, I think I got like one or two of them actually done. Like right. one or two of them actually done. The next year I got three or four. And this year I think I've got like six out of my seven, which I've like seven. So yeah, yeah uh -huh. it takes time. It takes time for sure. Yeah, for me personally, I'd say my favorite book I've read so far is, and I can't remember, I've been trying to think this whole time of the author's name, but it's The Power of Now. And pretty much the premise of, premise of it is, is you know, people today are so focused where they, you know, they either dwell on the past where they're focused on the future and they're never living in the now. Yep. They get caught up in the emotions of stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. Yep. You know, focus on what you can control today, not tomorrow or not what happened yesterday. Focus on what, you know, is in front of you today. And that's, I, I will say that book has ultimately changed my life. I've been in my head, uh, you know, things that have happened in the past or, you know, so, so focused on the future and, you know, oh, where am I, where am I going to be at when yeah. I'm 22, when I'm 23, instead of just, you know, controlling what I can control. Yeah, the focus forward, Catherine and I talk about that a lot. We're trying to like craft our, uh, you know, we've got the team values for the business and stuff. We're trying to craft the, what's the values that we want for um, our family. And like, you know, once yeah. there's kids and stuff in place, and that's something we talk about a lot is like, okay, yeah, things that are hard have happened in the past and things that weren't go a part of your plan have happened. And like, that's a big challenge. But like, how do you look at that and say, okay, it's changed the plans and now that plan can really never happen and that can be really really hard if you had your sights set on something um so we talk a lot about okay well focus forward though like um how do we create this new plan that hopefully is better than the original one that we had because then that gives you something new to to look forward to but you can only get there by focusing in your current now situation um to figure out um okay what are the things that we do today and i think that's the you know, what you're talking about living forward, that's all about planning, looking ahead, power of now and atomic habits. You know, atomic habits, he actually starts off the book talking about how, uh, you know, he throws away goals, throw your goals in the trash. And he talks about how do you make these habits in the today world that actually get you to where you want to go. Yeah. Both of those are super true. You need to have a plan for your life so that way someone else isn't planning it. And the way you achieve it is through what are you doing today? 
those reps each and every day that help you get there. Yeah, I get 1% better every day. He references that in the book. And yep. that, that's another saying that I have a, in my bedroom at the office. And nice. it, it keeps me going. 1% better every day, baby. Nice. But, yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap this up here. I asked uh, every guest this. Um, Brooks, if you could describe yourself in one word. What oh, would man, it be? the one word question. Holy cow. <laughs> Maybe a phrase. I'll, I'll allow a phrase. Uh, this is hyphenated, I think. Maybe it's hyphenated. I don't know. Uh, Hakuna Matata. I always loved that when I was a kid growing up. Oh, yeah, man. It's, a it's like, no worries. It's a wonderful uh-huh. phrase. Yep, yep. Wonderful phrase. I know like, that. In your hard times, you got to think about, okay, what are you grateful for, right? So yeah. Gratitude's key, baby. Yep. Yeah, no, this has been awesome, Brooks. Thank you for, uh, you know, hopping on, uh, giving some of, some of your time uh, I, to be a part of this podcast. I super appreciate it. I'm glad you guys are doing it. Keep it up. Um, uh, I'm interested to hear about how the audience is growing and stuff. But, again, it's uh, I'm sure it's something that's just been fun for you guys to do together. So thanks for coming into the studio. It's and, awesome. Uh, this is a great, great setup. setup so. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll have to get you on in the future. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll do the episode after we interview uh, Joe Rogan. So. <laughs> on that note everybody thank you for listening to this episode of the good life uh thank you brooks once again bye you bet Deuces.